Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, the founder of The Naked Voice. And I am here to welcome you to our online community, which is an opportunity for us to evolve and to inquire, to deepen and inspire our understanding of the nature of compassion and compassionate action and its transformative impact in the world. I'm particularly interested in exploring this theme with the lives and hearts and minds and teachings of poets, artists, writers, musicians and philosophers, teachers and social entrepreneurs and activists. I'm very privileged to be in conversation today with Pair Bristow, the founder of The Singing Zone. That's thesingingzone.com. I am really excited to be talking to Pear today because he is really turning on hundreds of thousands of people to their own singing voice. Pear was born in Sweden and currently resides in Los Angeles. And his home study programs called Sing With Freedom, The Singing Zone, and Speak With Freedom have trained singers and speakers in 132 countries. His live events, workshops, and masterclasses have sold out on four continents and cover areas such as freedom of voice, expression, and peak performance skills. And I have already really enjoyed working with your four-session DVD set that introduces us to the power of the voice and the power of the voice as a vehicle for expressing our authenticity without effort. And it's that effortlessness, I would say, that is so integral to this dialogue we're having here today, uh, where we're exploring the voice as a catalyst for conscious and compassionate evolution. And I call it a dialogue because I sort of see like the conversation we're about to have rather like an improvisation. So welcome to you, Pear. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I, yes, a dialogue it is. I was just reading on your amazing website how this new awareness of the voice with the singing zone enables you to release strain and restriction that you've likely not been aware of before that you can now effectively heal voice problems and develop all physical aspects of your voice, greater strength, endurance, richness, resonance, power, and range, and so on. And to really access this newfound freedom to express. And you go on to speak about how voice really becomes a metaphor for life, really enabling you to become a more authentic, spontaneous, confident, charismatic, and fully alive you. I like the sound of that very. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, so in the light of that, it would be lovely just to hear your understanding of how this extraordinary work you're doing in the world is contributing to 
compassionate relationships in the world, perhaps even to start with your own experience of compassion, how it's shown up in your life and how that might have influenced your own life's vision. Yeah, I'm so glad you started off by using that word awareness. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. The voice is such an interesting instrument. We always had it from day one, right? But (laughs) we're not always that aware of what to do with it. Most people are not aware that it can be trained. Most people just think, oh, it's something that I have and I use it and then sometimes I lose it and then I get it back. And mm. But we seldom have the awareness like, for example, an athlete has or develops mm. using their body for whatever it is that they're doing, right? Yeah. So, And we, of course, have muscles. We have things that are set in motion, creates vibration, And we tend to take it for granted. Some people like their voice, some people don't, some people think they're talented, some people think they're not. A big part of what I do is really help people gain greater awareness, whether they are seasoned professionals, whether they're singers, speakers, whether they have been shut down, have traumatic experiences when it comes to expressing. And it's so interesting when we tap into that deeper awareness of the physicality, then we also realize that goes hand in hand with the emotional aspects, the fears that we have. It's, isn't it interesting that singing and speaking are often the most scary activities, right? Yeah, well, it's certainly my experience. So many people will say, you know, when I ask them how they feel about their voice, they will say, I haven't got one or I mm-hmm. don't have it or I sing in the shower, or, but don't ask me to sing anywhere else, you know. And then you say, well, was that you singing in the football match that I just heard just now? Who is that? And what happens to that voice? Or what happens to the voice that finds itself in a music festival or something? And then suddenly you come away from that high and then the voice closes down again. It is, it's very bizarre, isn't it? Given that we use the voice so much. That people have such a sensitive, vulnerable relationship with it. And I would imagine it's that vulnerability that leads into a courage and the courage leads into the willingness, the intention, the motivation to come to work with someone such as yourself in this very powerful, empowering way. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating. What tends to happen is that when we do gain that greater awareness of our body, our mind, our psychology, the fears that we have around the voice, and then we engage in, I mean, the process that I've developed to be able to release that and train it and treat it as a skill because that makes it, frankly, easier if we think of it that way. Mm -hmm. But what's so interesting is then that that actually develops greater awareness of other people. And uh, we can then, because you talked about compassion and empathy and all these things, because that's really where powerful communication lies. So if you're an artist on stage, Letting out some notes is not really what it's about. It is about being able to communicate with an audience, creating an energy, being able to impact, influence the the energy in the room. That's what a powerful artist does, or a speaker, or well, even if you present, or even if you have a one on one meeting. Frankly, mm. so it applies to so many areas of of life, whether you sing or, or speak. But I think that's what ultimately I'm all about. Then that's why you said that thing about coming alive and becoming more impactful. And then confidence is actually a byproduct of that. Many people think that, oh, I have to be confident in order to. No, that's, that's actually a backwards way of looking at it, in my opinion. 
Absolutely. And I love your practices because they're so accessible and you make it so simple for anybody to get. You know, it's just as simple as breathing and being willing to unlearn what the conditioning of our lives has kind of tightened up in the throat, I suppose. Well, that's right. And you said that be willing to. Mm-hmm. That's a magical word right there. Mm-hmm. I, the first instruction I give anyone is to give permission. Now, that's easier said than done mm-hmm. because people wonder, well, give permission to, for what? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's exactly it, right? We want to give permission to, for whatever. Yeah. And you've seen some of my videos. I play around and probably say the wrong thing and, mm-hmm. and uh, make a fool out of myself. And mm-hmm. I willingly do that because if I can make a fool out of myself, so can you. But the thing is that when we give permission to do that, we're actually not making a fool out of ourselves. Now we actually become more charismatic. Now we actually become more alive. And so a a lot of what I do is also giving permission for you to come alive, to be you. And often when it comes to the voice, especially we are so judgmental. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that before, right? So we've... Yeah, yeah, sure, we want to sing in the shower, but nobody, we don't want anyone to hear us. And that's part of the dilemma, because nobody has said that you have to be a performer. Mm-hmm. But of course, making sound is something that others can hear. But it's also very, very powerful yeah. to uh, express in sound by yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember once doing something really crazy, really clown-like, if you like. I, I took myself to my local shopping mall and they had these great escalators there and I just stood at the bottom of this escalator with a keyboard uh, singing How I Love You to people as they came down the um, escalator. (laughs) And I got to the bottom and then, you know, you could see them thinking, we're coming shopping here, what is this crazy woman doing singing? (laughs) 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 And rightly so. (laughs) Absolutely. And so I, I just, you know, I brought out my um, script and I just said, well, actually, we're doing some market research on how people feel about their voice, how do you yeah. your voice. And, and literally the research we did showed that 80% of the people that we spoke to, their initial response was, I haven't got a voice, you know, I can't. So right. don't ask me to do this, you know. And some, one person said, is this religious? You know, <laughs> mm. And the voice, you see, it's so... Sensitive, isn't it? It's so sensitive. It is. And, and if we go back to our childhood, we can, we can easily say that we probably all sang whatever we wanted to call singing, but we expressed with our voice long before we could construct words into sentences. Mm-hmm. Everything that we did was to express with sound. Mm-hmm. And that's how we communicated. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to other people, but sometimes we're just you. You, you know, babies lie in the rooms and and they're just making sound, and they're trying to figure out what that hand is in front of their face. Is that mine? What's going on? <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> but making sound is part of the process of movement. Mm. But of course, making sound is also then, especially a little bit later, when the baby's not as cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But making sound is also disruptive. So right. most have experienced that 
it's better to be seen and not heard. Mm. And, you know, the, the, that expression is very common. A child should be seen and not heard. Right. Both when it comes to opinions, but also just making sound is not appropriate. And as children, we, of course, don't have that awareness of when is appropriate and not appropriate. When is it disturbing and when is it not right? right. And so it becomes all this thing and trying to fit in, mm. be loved, mm-hmm. be accepted. Mm-hmm. And how do I maneuver that? And frankly, many times being quiet is easier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've thought about this a lot when i working with people, the psychotherapeutic approach, which is extraordinarily valuable, is to really inevitably go back and revisit those stories, those narratives. And of course, yeah. there are ways in which the voice can engage those narratives and befriend them and heal them and transform them and so on. For me, it's not like the narrative was terrible and therefore this awful thing that people have done to me, that shut down my voice. Because for, for many people, of course, it was the absolute catalyst that woke them up and really generated a quality of self-determination to truly find themselves and, and to really express their truth in the world. So it doesn't what? necessarily follow, does it, that... A lot of people could use that as an excuse. Well, of course, I was shut down in my childhood, so therefore I am going to be a mute for the rest of my life. I'm going to be passive about this for the rest of my life. Um, Well, that's so interesting that you bring that up. uh How we use our experiences is vital. That's where it's at, really. Now, I wrote an article Uh many years ago about the abuse of children's voices, and it was a challenging title, Uh but... Through that article, I, I went through then about people, children have been shut down or being, being judged, whether they're good or not, good enough or not, whether mm-hmm. they should be singing or not, they're tone deaf, etc. Mm-hmm. And thousands of people responded that they had a, had a similar experience. Now, what they do with that experience, that is, of course, the interesting thing. So many people have... And I post things on Facebook, so I always get fascinating comments from a lot of people who have done my program, but also people who have no clue who I am. They just see the Facebook post, right? And and so many still to this day and age believe that either you have it or you don't. Either you can or you can't. And some people believe, well, I was told so-and-so when I was a child, and therefore I know I can't do it. And I think that if you have this belief from what someone told you when you were a kid, or many people have had that experience, they got into a choir, and then they weren't good enough for that, and therefore they have never sung. But if we started playing tennis when we were kids, and you got an adult uh, tennis racket, size tennis racket, and you missed your first shot, what does that tell you? Are you going to make the judgment now that, oh, I can never be able to play tennis? Just because you had the wrong tools or you happened to miss the first time. I mean, we do that to ourselves. It's amazing. But, of course, some people don't. And this is what I want to encourage, the idea of skill development. Because if we develop a skill, whatever you could do is irrelevant or not or could not do. If you engage in developing a skill, then amazing things can happen. Right. And I don't care how old or young you are 
Of course, right. if you start earlier, it's going to be a benefit depending on where you want to go. But can you develop from where you are today? Can you experience a new sense of freedom, a new sense of, can you develop muscles? Of course you can. So it's, it's so interesting what we do with past experiences. But like you said, a lot of people have, of course, experienced the amazing feeling of releasing sound. And singing is such a joy. It's such a community activity, whether you sing in a choir or you sing in a band or you, you sing by yourself. And, and a lot of people have found a tremendous joy of getting up on stage Again, for that reason, to be able to, one, put themselves in that situation of being in the moment. <clears throat> this is where it's happening. I'm releasing. I'm seeing what's going to happen. And that is such an amazing experience. And then, of course, the connection with the audience. So there's so many different levels to it. To it. So it depends on where we're at, really. Yeah. And coming back to this willingness, is that such an important component of becoming compassionate, of understanding the true nature of compassion, that the willingness the discernment, the determination. For me, with the kind of singing that I love is that kind of sense of the devotion that is so important. And, of course, that kind of devotional or the intuitive mind is so often shut down, of course, with these stories you're speaking of, these negative stories. I think our education system probably has a lot to answer for in this because we have solely focused, it would seem, on developing the objective mind, the observing mind, uh, which is a, a very important skill. We've kept the arts and especially music right at the bottom of the pile of priorities in education and so on. But what I am noticing in England is that there, and particularly with TV programs like, you might have heard of Gareth Malone's The Choir, where this guy just sort of started going into businesses and schools and Heathrow Airport and the Royal Mail and just inviting the staff to create their own choirs. Okay. And this has really taken off in England now. There's, there's a huge choral movement that's developing. And I would suggest that probably the choral movement, because that's where I started, was it never occurred to me I would ever be a soloist. That just sort of somehow happened by accident. <laughs> but that's another yeah. conversation. The choral, this, this idea of being in a field, field of sound with others, I think is yes. a great open doorway into this, isn't it? Uh, yes. that, that ties in with the whole kind of new science of sound and fields of, you know, how important, more than important than anything is interconnectedness and, and relationships. And it's so interesting that singing is part of every, every culture, really, that's not repressed. In the celebration, in sorrow, we sing. Yes. I mean, UK is famous for, you mentioned football, right? I mean, to sing along in sports events, to sing along. UK is pretty known, though, I think, for the choral yeah. world. And as a matter of fact, me coming from Sweden, because when I grew up, I heard that Sweden apparently had the most choirs per capita. Yeah, everybody sings. I mean, music is a, is a big part-time, pastime activity yeah. in, in Sweden. Uh-huh. It's, and having traveled the world a little bit more now lately, it's it's interesting how singing and music is such a huge part of every culture. But like you say, it's fascinating that it's not necessarily a huge part of the school system. Perhaps, again, because we take it for granted and that is something that you should do when you have fun or something like that, rather than understanding that it is a profound part of our development as human beings. 
Absolutely. And I think that's what I see you doing. And I've certainly been endeavoring to do that myself is this uh, really just providing music education that just did not exist mm-hmm. and still doesn't really exist as something which is not only powerful and inspiring, but absolutely fundamental to, to yes. human evolution and to the evolution of conscious and compassionate communication. You know, that's what I really see you doing. So it's really exciting. Exactly. Because you know. what is voice really? Writers talk about voice also. And uh, right. so we can talk about our inner voice. It really is about becoming aware of who we are. And I think mm-hmm. what I like to do in my work is to, like we mentioned, become aware, but not only about our voice, but also become aware of what holds us back. So the reason my program is called Sing with Freedom, Speak with Freedom, is, is how do we release these hidden restrictions? And a lot of them are hidden, subconscious. We might aware, be aware of some, but that ultimately is about releasing your voice, meaning who are you? What's your capacity? How can, you, how can we improve who you are? It's not necessarily about changing. A lot of people don't want to change. Some people do, but... <laughs> but it, but it's maybe improving is a better w- word in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of what I do is the peak performance aspect of it, because how we come alive when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I do, I draw from the sports background. I'm very involved in the elite sports world, uh-huh. still both the physical developments, but also the mental stuff, which is becoming more and more acceptable in the sports world. In the past, it used to be, oh, just be tough. Well, what's that? <laughs> but that ties into giving permission. The person is, who's uh, afraid of making the mistake is also the person who will make mis- the mistake under pressure. The person who feels judged or feels that they have to be at a certain level, they have to do this, and takes on that enormous pressure is also the person who's not going to operate at the maximum capacity of, of, uh, of um, to be what they can be, right? So that is also part of the releasing those fears, the, the ideas of what you're supposed to, the shoulds and the coulds and the, all these things. So becoming aware of fear is also extraordinarily powerful in my opinion. And uh, a lot of men have grown up with that fear is weakness. You're not supposed to show your emotions. You're supposed to hide that and you're supposed to be tough, which to me is ultimate weakness. Right. Toughness is to be able to be vulnerable, if so, to be able to actually experience and be aware of your emotions. And what you do with them is a different thing. And uh, you mentioned courage, and courage is not the opposite of fear. The courage, courageous, is how you act when you experience fear. You have to experience fear in order to be able to achieve something significant. So peak performance is really not about overcoming fears. It's about using fears. It's about being aware. And that's a big part of my work also, um, because that really does set us free. That is so interesting. You know, and it's so interesting what you're speaking of and the way that you're working with people. What I'm getting from the, the way you're teaching is you can move so fast with sound can't you sound mm-hmm. you don't need to sit as as extraordinarily valuable as psychotherapeutic talking can be there's something about just sounding that process from fear into courage acknowledging the fear or acknowledging the vulnerability 
and then what that translates into when you sing it uh, and when you sing through it, it's such a, an efficient and swift and simple uh, shift, mm-hmm. isn't it, to be made. I often say to people when they say they're afraid of their voice, right? so I say, well, so what does that sound like? And mm-hmm. uh, when the sound comes out, so it's not even like somebody that would be performing something, it would just be more of a therapeutic situation, and they would say, they would start sounding, and it might start off in the a specific kind of musical scale, very like the Phrygian scale, you know, very Arabic sort of flamenco-ish sort of sound. And then it would slowly, slowly open into other modes because I'm really into the musical modes and so on and how emotion ties in with, you know, how a feeling can be translated into a musical state or mode. And it's so interesting that when people actually start to embody the fear and express it, how it's actually awe that shows up. Awe. Yeah. So, so see, awe, A-W-E, is like the flip side of fear or something. You know, like we've been brought up to fear life <laughs> rather than be in awe of life. And yeah. I just, they're like sort of two sides of the same coin for me. And somehow the voice can teach us about that very fast. It can teach us things very fast, can't it? Yeah, it's fascinating. That's really fascinating. Well, and the way we grow up, like you said, we I mean, ultimately we are wired to survive somehow. And yeah. we're trying desperately to survive. And whatever that means, whatever we've come to <laughs> the conclusion of what to do in order to survive, like we mentioned before, being silent might be a good strategy. So you thought, not, not showing who you are and sitting in the back of the room might be a good strategy because then at least you, you don't risk being seen. <laughs> And, yeah. You know, it's all, it's all these survival things, right? Yes, it's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? But it's kind of, what's really interesting is that once you do start finding your voice and regular, I can do this, you know, I can do this. This is happening. I can do this. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't have to be a performer. I can just do this. I can do this with my children. I can do this, uh, share this with my, my friends. And I can also consider performing it. I'm very excited by what you're doing with the performance piece. I almost sort of think to myself, you're a bit like the Tony Robbins of the voice world. You know? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people say that. That's interesting. I've never claimed that. But it's, yeah. it's interesting with these processes that some people use, the, you know, walking on fire or walking on glass and breaking boards, things like that to break through yeah. something, to do something that's scary and they recognize, oh, you can do that and therefore that takes you to a new level. Mm. Hopefully, that's, I mean, that's the idea. But I think it's more powerful, honestly, to use your voice, which is actually very, very applicable to your everyday life. Absolutely. That's well said. I really am with you on that. I would love, I'd love just to hear just a little bit about how did the inspiration for this work show up in your life? Yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's something we reflect on after the fact. Why, why do we do certain things in life? Which is also interesting. So I started playing the violin and I was, I was always told I was such a natural mm. and a uh, child prodigy and all that. And I, I appreciated that, but I also started getting annoyed by it because it started sounding as if I wasn't practicing. Mm-hmm. And it became actually sort of a judgment then on the ability that I had acquired through uh, effective practice. Mm-hmm. Of course, 
you know, we're all different. So things came easy to me. But I was always curious about what makes someone learn something from Monday to Friday while another person doesn't. What's the strategy? What could I do to learn this piece mm. by Friday, let's say? And where did that so, come from? Did that come from just inside you or your parents or your teacher? Or I think it came, well... Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. My my teacher was very good for me. Mm. Other kids did not think he was good, so which is also interesting as as coaches and teachers, right? But he challenged me. He realized that a challenge would inspire me. Mm. And it did. So mm. he gave me difficult stuff. So that's a, f- a fine balance, you know. If the challenge is too hard, we're going to back off and we're not going to do it. Yes, I don't know really where it came from, but um, it came easy to me. I loved learning difficult stuff. Mm. I wanted to take on more and more. My parents were also very engaged in um, creating a a discipline in the sense, not that they were tough parents in that sense, but the discipline of practicing, meaning it was every day the first thing when I came home. Mm. They also had, there was a smart strategy that they had. They hung their violin on the wall. So there was not a process of unpacking and this kind of stuff. And it was right there. It was very smart, actually. So it would be easy there if I walk in the door and there it is. And then I start playing. Lovely. And while my my mom then, we often came home sort of at the same time because she was a school teacher. And then she often made me a snack while I was practicing so therefore it became a routine Uh and that's and that was very wise but then I got into sports I I really wanted to be an athlete but I wasn't considered an athlete I had a back injury when I was 14 that was probably uh, no no I was 12 that was a very profound experience how do you get out of pain that's really when I started becoming even more curious about the body and the mind visualization how to do the awareness of the body I mean you learn the best when you're in pain honestly <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And then, and then I actually became an elite youth athlete after that. I, and I may not have if I hadn't had the back injury. Mm. But that also strengthened my mind in that sense, or my curiosity of the mental processes of, because I didn't have the raw speed, the raw strength, so I had to rely rely on something else. Mm-hmm. How could I use my body to move effectively? So I could use do, do technique events. Mm-hmm. But also then when it came to competition, how can I come alive there? So I would often get into a situation where I would be people who were statistically better, but in the moment of the, the, the race, I did um, track and field, various events, decathlon, mm-hmm. I would often come out ahead. So, mm-hmm. But I also had some interesting experiences where it didn't go well, and that's also fascinating. Hmm, why did I fall on the hurdles? Why did I do this? Mm-hmm. And instead of going home and being all upset about it. Well, of course I was upset, but I also realized, huh, interesting. How can I change that next time? So therefore, I think I've always been curious. I've always wanted to learn Mm. about myself, about the situation. How can I use that next time? But then in high school, I had never sung. I'd never ever sung, but I, I didn't fancy the violin because I wanted to get more into rock music. I thought violin was the wrong instrument for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing the bass and then I started singing. And then, and then I got a sore throat all the time. So I wanted to figure out how that works. But I felt also very, very inhibited in a certain situation. Oh. I was an athlete. So I was 
confident in certain situations and then why so not confident, so scared in other situations. Speaking in front of the class, forget about it. Mm-hmm. I mentioned before sitting in the back of the room and just so someone, if someone noticed when I said that, mm-hmm. I didn't mean that to be anything bad. I always sat in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I still do, but now I've turned it into I'm an observer in that sense. I actually like to sit and observe mm. and take things in. Mm. I never asked questions. At that time, it was the fear of asking a dumb question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it became part of my, my um, MO, so to speak, now that I want to figure things out by myself. I'm not afraid of asking the question, but I prefer to watch and observe and try to... Uh, learn that sense but I'm still consider myself introverted it's very common this it seems I remember once speaking with Peter Gabriel about it and he said the mm. same and it seems like more and more people you know who are very successful performers they are incredibly introverted off stage so that's yes. a whole other conversation isn't it I think I would probably say the same about myself uh, I have a great love of silence and solitude yes and this is also something that I've tried to communicate with the youth, the younger. Often we think that that person who loves to get up on stage when they're 10 years old is, is the person who's going to become the artist. Well, you know what? It might be the person sitting in the back of the room who won't make a sound until they're 17 is going to become the real fascinating artist in some way. We don't know. I would love to uh, help people be less judgmental. <laughs> right. well, this, I think, comes to the absolute nub of this conversation around compassion because mm-hmm. we're, we're entering the whole area of exploring this kind of work as service, really. And it's like, despite ourselves, we're doing it almost like it's, as I sometimes feel, just in spite of the fact that I'm a very introverted person, I cannot help but do this work. I feel so completely driven to or how voice, whether it's solo voice or ensemble voice or big collective voices, how we can encourage human beings to respond consciously, for example, to the turmoil that's going on in the world at this time. So many people are Mm -hmm. probably unknowingly looking for the skills to know how to give voice to and how to skillfully express their response to the dilemmas and the uncertainties of what's going on at all levels of human life. The musical mind has an incredibly powerful part to play in this, you know, without it becoming a kind of crusade. You know, if you think we've been educated with the observing mind, we've been to some degree encouraged to develop our intuitive mind, I would say the musical mind is almost like a distinct piece that somehow when you join that musical sense and intelligence with intuition and observation you've then got a wholeness of a whole person you know someone who is able to embody in truth who they are and express who they are and to to communicate with a spaciousness a spacious awareness because we live in a very conflicted world don't we where it's kind of very dualistic you know things are either right or wrong good or bad there's nothing that connects as well as music. Right, right. Music has always been the connector. Right. And we don't even have to use the word music, frankly. We can just talk about energy, vibration. 
I mean, what is music really? Rhythm, yeah. sound, words, perhaps. Yeah, it, it it connects us at home. It connects us to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It connects the world. Mm-hmm. Music is the, and not only music, but music is something that we so appreciate that we are different. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet it's a similar vibration. Mm. You go to a different country and you're fascinated by the rhythms. You're fascinated by, by the way they express themselves. And it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference is, is what we love. Mm. And the world of music has probably done more, the, more to connect the world than anything else, perhaps. Yeah. Also other art forms, of course, but let's say art. Oh, yeah. And isn't that interesting how music embraces diversity rather than creates inauthentic diversity? You know what I mean? That's right. Creates racism or religious fundamentalism. It goes through that, it dissolves that, and it embraces absolutely everyone. Yeah. That's right. Yes. And that is, that's really what compassion can possibly be. Yes. And it all starts with acceptance, in a sense. Lovely, yeah. Accepting ourselves goes hand in hand with what we talked about, giving permission. Yes. And then it's hard to experience true love if it doesn't start with acceptance. Absolutely. Or joy. Yeah. Or uh, true empathy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Pear, this is a big conversation. It's a very rich conversation. Yeah. So grateful to you for participating in it. Well, thank you so uh, much. Thank you. And all I can say is to be continued. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thanks to you who are listening. And uh, yeah, go out there and use whatever. If anything has inspired you to make sound or express yourself and uh, be aware of yourself and other people and, Hopefully it's contributed somehow. A wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for your work in the world. Is there just one final thing you'd like to say about where you're heading now with your work and what's most exciting you about this extraordinary service and practice? As as far as what I do, well, I've had my online program for quite a while then, and you you mentioned countries, but I really love doing the live events. Yes. And because it's so, again, because that gives me an opportunity to connect with people. Uh, as, as of right now, the next one is in Berlin. Yeah, I really enjoy doing that. So I'm going to try and figure out how I can do more of it in different kind of scale, some bigger, some smaller. It's fun. Wonderful. Well, every joy and blessing for your work uh, and for all of those lucky ones who are going to be able to come and participate with you in these incredible events that no doubt there will be organizers listening to this who would like to take one on and organize one for you um, well i love to travel and see the world so i uh, experience the world so really? i'm i'm open <laughs> <laughs> really well every joy with that and thank you so much for thank you <laughs> 